Well, good morning, church. We're glad you guys are here this morning. Uh, we're excited to start off both services today with baptism. Uh, we had a baptism first service, and now today I'm here with Rick Sheffield, and he is uh, excited and ready to be baptized. It's pretty awesome. Several weeks ago, uh, Rick had been visiting, coming to our church, and uh, in the connect room, one Sunday morning afterwards, he hung out and said, man, I have some questions about this thing. And uh, it wasn't long into the conversation that he said, look, I, I know that I need to get saved. I'm ready to place my faith and trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord. And so several weeks ago, right back there, he, he asked Christ to come into his life. And it was pretty awesome because that week we, we got him a Bible and immediately he messaged me and said, man, I've been reading the Bible, have tons of questions. And I'm like, good, that's how it's supposed to be. Uh, so, man, we're so excited. To, just as people, we have any friends and family, you guys here, simply raise your hand, let our people welcome them here this morning. good to have you guys here with us this morning. Well, Rick, I want to ask you, have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord? This water doesn't save you. The day that you placed your faith in Christ is the day that you came to know the Lord. Today is a picture of the inward work of Christ. And so based off your profession of faith, it's my joy and honor to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Bear with Christ in light of his death, raised to walk in glorious light. That's awesome. Why don't you guys pray with me this morning? God, thank you so much for the work that you're doing. Lord, we get to see people come to know you, and Lord, we just want to celebrate it. We don't ever want to get over those who have placed their faith and trust in you. Lord, we just ask that you would uh, bring many more, Lord, that many more people would come to know. Maybe there's some even today that watch Lord Rick and say, you know what? I, I want what he has. I, I know I need to be baptized. Or maybe others that would say, I need Jesus. Lord, would you work through his testimony and and Lord, thank you for what you're doing. Do, do many more. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 We are buried with Jesus in baptism. We're raised to walk in that newness of life. Let's sing of that, that resurrection life in us today. Why don't you stand and join with us? I was buried beneath my shame.
together. I needed a rescue. He came to us, did that for us. Here we go, sing it out. I needed rescue. My sin was heavy. The chains break at the weight of your glory. I needed shelter. I was an orphan. And you called me a citizen of heaven. When I was broken, you were my
thank him for his freedom this morning. Why don't you find uh, a couple of people around you you haven't spoken to yet, tell them how great it is to see them here. Good morning, church. Well, good morning, church. Why don't you guys go ahead and be seated this morning? Let me officially welcome you to Shirley Hills. Uh, my name is Jacob Green. I'm our lead pastor here. And we just want to say, if you're a guest host, we're glad you're here. Uh, in the back of your pew, there is a communication card. If you'll grab that and fill it out at the end of the service, I'm going to be in our connect room. It's where a lot of you guys got coffee in that room. I would love to meet you. All right, if you're a guest, please bring that card. We have a gift that we want to give you and just say we're glad you're here um, and we're happy you're here with us and, uh, and just put a face with a card, all right, so we, we can know who we're, we're praying for. Uh, hey, we, we continue to pray every week in our church for something that we call D-groups, all right, D-groups. We believe that what God is doing corporately in our church, all right, what he's doing is we all gather together uh, that he would also do that in smaller groups, all right? These D groups are smaller groups of people that wanna love God, uh, love one another, and serve. And so uh, we, if you're here today and you're not in one of those D groups, we wanna encourage you to find a D group. Find a group of people that you can grow in grace with and, and pursue the Lord together. Man, we can accomplish more when we run together. Amen? Man, listen, today's an awesome day. We're excited to continue our Colossian Serpent Series. I just wanna ask if you'll pray with me. And let's just ask God to meet with us today. We pray, Father, we're here this morning, Lord, thankful for what you've already done. Lord, we've already seen baptisms, and Lord, we're just reminded um, that, Lord, many churches will never see people baptized. And Lord, we have been seeing people baptized almost every other Sunday. And Lord, we just pray that, Lord, it would continue. Lord, I, I know that there are others that are saying, you know what, I, I need to place my faith and trust in you. God, you would do that work. God, for all of us today, we just want to grow in grace. We're going to grow in the, the knowledge of you. And, and Lord, just ask you would help us do that. As we teach your word today, God, teach us to love you, to love others, and to make your name known. Fill this place, move in a mighty way like only you can. Lord, bring honor and glory to yourself. Help us to celebrate this resurrection. Lord, you are, you are worthy. Lord, you are all we need. So help us to see uh, that you are worthy. We love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. All God's people said, amen.
Would you stand and let's worship together?
Heavenly Father, we uh, just come before you in, in the worthy name of your son, uh, who has uh, done so much for us that is just far beyond our comprehension, redeeming us and making us yours, reconciling us to you, making us your people. And so, Lord, we know that you have called us to a, to a, a place of holiness and a place of, of, of worship. And so, Lord, we just want to be there today. As you speak to us through your word, Lord, just speak clearly, change our hearts. And we pray. You go and open with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. Uh, we've been in a sermon series now looking at the centrality of Christ in Colossians. Why should Jesus be first in our life? Why should everything in our life center around who he is and, and what he has done? So we're going to be there today in Colossians chapter 2. We'll start in verse 8 in just a moment and, and we'll be there. Um, I love that song we just sang. When Stacey and I were married, uh, we had a worship service in it and we sang that song. I love it because it moves us to adore him. To not just sing a little bit, to just see who God really is and to truly worship and adore who he is. Now, today what we're gonna be looking at, a little bit deeper, the next two Sundays, the text gets a little bit deeper. Uh, it gets a, he gets a little more serious into some of the false teaching that's going on into the church of Colossae. Now the church is, uh, man, there's some problems going on. He hears about how they're doing good the church is growing, but there's also some false teaching trying to sneak in. And so he's concerned. You hear his pastoral heart, and he's going to address uh, some of that today. So we're going to be looking at, ultimately, how Christ completes this. Now, let me ask you if you've ever been tricked. Ever been tricked? We know there's a day coming up really soon, all right, where we trick people. All right, April Fool's Day. Uh, I'll remember one time I got a, a box of Krispy Kreme donuts on my desk. I was so excited about it only to open it up and there's nothing in it. On the cover it said, Pastor, we love you this much. I thought, what a trick, thank you, appreciate it, right? Uh, every day when I come home, my kids, we kinda have this little game now, they know I, I like to surprise them and so I'll hear them when I'm open the door, daddy's here, daddy's here, and they'll hide somewhere, all right? And they want me to come find them, but sometimes I'll trick them and I'll pretend I'll come in the door and I won't say anything and they'll wait like, wait, Right, we're high and daddy's supposed to come get us and they'll come out looking for me and I'll jump around the corner and I'll scare the mess out of them, all right? And Luke, he cried the first few times, but he loves it now, all right? He's like, yeah. And so it's fun and, and so some tricks are, are good, right? Sometimes like there's fun and it's fun loving and we like to play tricks on each other, but there's other times in life where tricks really aren't so funny, where there are things that we put hope in, things that we kind of put faith in, things that we kind of thought we're gonna pan out for the good and they didn't. Maybe you've heard the saying, don't put your faith or trust in man because man will let you down. You learn that the hard way. You put your faith and trust in a person and, and they sinned, they messed up and it hurt you and it burned you a little bit. So something that you thought was gonna have substance, something you thought was gonna be a, a strong foundation in your life turned out not to be that way. This same thing happens often uh, matter of fact, in November 18th, 1978, 900 people trusted a leader of a cult named Jim Jones 
and they would all kill themselves because they believed that by drinking out of this certain cup that, that, that this leader was taking them to a better place, a, a promised land. He was taking them to, to greater ecstasy, greater hope, greater strength. And so this is not uncommon. I wish it was, but it's not. March 26, 1997, 39 people all uh, killed themselves, called Heaven's Gate, because they believed as a comet was passing, this leader told them that it was actually an alien spaceship that was gonna bring them to a greater celestial place, and they all committed suicide thinking that it was gonna give them hope. Maybe you've heard people say, oh, you're part of the church, you're part of Christianity, that's just a cult. What's the difference between our faith in Jesus and a cult? How do we know the difference that's there? Today, there are millions of people who follow cults. There are many other religions or, or offshoots of Christianity. A cult is a group of people who are gathered around a person or person's misinterpretations of truth. All right, and so there's lots of people that might fit under that category. But specifically, a lot of them are offshoots of the Bible. A lot of them. Think about Jehovah's Witness. They follow the interpretation of Charles Russell and J.F. Rutherford. Christian scientists, they follow their disciples of a, a lady named Mary Baker Eddy. Mormons follow Joseph Smith and Brigham Young. The, there's a, a group called the Theosophical Society, it's ultimately a modern-day Gnosticism, they teach that they have special knowledge that will truly save you. If you get their special knowledge, then you can get heaven, then you can get eternal life. You just have to come get it from them, and they're the only ones that have it, and you gotta be a part of their uh, cool kid club. And, but ultimately, how do we know the difference between what they're saying and what we preach as the gospel every week? What about Scientology? Or maybe one of the newest ones, something we thought would never exist, is the Church of Satan. The Church of Satan. You hear this and you go, man, how could that be? Well, the Church of Satan, they're an offshoot of, of Christianity and that they teach and believe that God is the bad guy and Satan was really just trying to bring enlightenment, trying to bring freedom. God is the one that puts us in a box and says this is what men are like, this is what women are like, this is what marriage is like. And so God is the one that's really condemning you. He just wants to enslave you. Satan has come to set you truly free. And they worship Satan as their savior. How do people buy into these charismatic leaders and get pulled away from what we believe is, is truth? Some of you are sitting right here right now or you're watching online and you're saying, you know what? I, I could never do it. That could never be me. I can never be pulled asunder or, or, or fall away. Students, some of you are like, there's no way I would ever believe some of that stuff, yet every single day, some of our young people or students are being exposed to false uh, cults and false religions and false teachers, and, and they begin to question, they begin to doubt, and they find themselves being pulled away from the truth of the gospel. There's a great chance some of you this very morning are here, and you're going, how do I know the gospel is true? How do I know it's truth and not just some crazy, teaching that people have believed in for thousands of years, it sounds kind of cultish to me. How do I know it's true? The Apostle Paul writes to the Church of Colossae because they had developed this kind of golden corral view of theology that, you know what, I can just go get whatever I want. You know, whatever mood I'm in today, if you go to Golden Corral, you can probably find a food that fits your appetite. And they started thinking about their faith in Jesus that way. I need something else, and so I'll find that from these 
other religions and faiths and false teachings that are around here. And so they kind of had this build-a-bear theology where they were building, taking Jesus, not denying him, but then building these other things around him to make it what they wanted. And the apostle Paul is writing to them. He's in chains. All right, he's in a Roman jail, so he couldn't go himself. So he writes, he says, as if I'm with you. I'm, though I'm not there with you in the flesh, I'm there with you in the spirit because he wanted to warn the church and wanted to warn them about this false teaching. In the same way, I can tell you from a pastoral heart, our pastors talk often about how many false teachings, how many false preachers and false religions and false faiths there are out there, and it's concerning. It's concerning how many of our own people well, I love this preacher. And we're like, what? That is not a preacher, all right? And, and how can you be pulled aside? So this morning, what I want us to do is we walk through this text. And what I want you to do is we walk through it. My heart is that God would really move our heart to see today that we're complete in Christ. It's Jesus plus nothing. We don't need any, all these other teachings. We don't need any other way. We don't need any other thing. And, and so what you're gonna get at the beginning is a warning all right, so some of you that are like, oh man, I hate those churches that preach against something. Well, let me just tell you, all the time in the Bible, what you're going to find is he's going to preach against vices, and he will show you how through the gospel he brings virtues into our life. They come together. It's like salt and pepper. All the time, the gospels preach against sin, and then they talk about how Christ heals us from that sin, and how he brings new life to us. And so the gospel in and of itself is against death, is against sin, and, and so we have that. So Today, uh, as we walk through some of that, we pray that God is gonna move our heart, open our minds to that very thing. So here's what I wanna do before I even read the text. Will you guys pray with me? God, this morning, as we open up your text, as we dive into it, Lord, we just ask that you would move the hearts of your church to love you, not only with all their heart, Lord, not only with all their strength, but God, also with all their mind, that we would know what we believe and why we believe it. Lord, in a day where there is every variety of truth imaginable, if we want uh, somebody to tell us a certain belief, we can go find it. But Lord, that doesn't make it true. So today, would you teach us that we would find that you are all we need. Stir our mind and our hearts to know what we believe, why we believe it, and not be afraid to have conversations about it. That we can have grace, kindness, and mercy, but yet also stand on truth. And so I pray that you would help us to excel in loving people, yet still knowing what your word tells us. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let me give you a few things. First of all, as I read the text, we're gonna read it all together, so y'all have had a little moment to sit. Why don't you stand with me? Uh, we don't do this every Sunday, but every now and then we'll stand and read God's word together for a few reasons. One, it's a reminder that we have the privilege in the United States of America to read the word of God out loud, amen? It's something we ought to be thankful for, uh, something we ought to praise God for. Secondly, it's a reminder that everything we do at Shirley Hills is rooted and grounded in the Word of God. Amen? So here we go. Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 8. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on elements of the world rather than Christ. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. And you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. You were also circumcised in him with the circumcision not done with hands by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all of our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt 
with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. We pray that God will bless the reading of his word. Amen? You guys can be seated. Well, as you're reading through it, you can quickly go, all right, what's going on? All right, there's some kind of deeper things happening, and so I'm going to give you two points today, uh, but we're going to kind of break those down and spend some time in it. Number one, the truth of Christ is a safeguard against falsehood. The truth of Christ is a safeguard against falsehood. He starts off by bringing a warning to the church. He does this often in his letters. He brings salutations and love and I'm excited about what God's doing in your church. He gives them a positive and then he'll address a negative and then he's gonna come back to the positive that's found in Christ. So now he's addressing a negative. Remember he starts off chapter two by saying, I'm laboring, I'm working hard that you would not be pulled away. As a, as a side note, thinking through this, right now there are some parents in this room, you are laboring with zeal and with passion that your children would not be pulled away from Christ. And this is kind of the language that he's given, like as a pastor. Like, I, I love you, and I'm zealous for you, and I don't want anybody to take you away from Christ and the truth of his word. I don't want anybody to steal an opportunity for you to walk in Christ, to be satisfied, and to enjoy him fully. And so he's writing a warning. And the first warning is really a warning to resist. A warning to resist false teaching. So how do we resist teachers and, and people that might share 90% truth? that at first glance it sounds good, but in reality that 10% makes it no longer a gospel. How do we resist false teaching? Well, he gives several ways here that he wants them to, to be careful or to resist ways that the occult or false teachers will go about deceiving and, 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 and pulling people away from the faith in Christ. He starts off by saying, hey, I want you to resist ultimately philosophy and empty deceit philosophy or empty deceit. He says, watch out, these, these teachers, they'll come in and, and they'll have, give promises, they'll give philosophy or a way of thinking about life, but it'll be empty. You know, they'll tell you, oh, I believe I, I have a, a higher way of enlightenment and, and other things, but there's no root to it, there's no depth to it, there's no substance in it, and he calls it empty deceit. These, these philosophies might be how you think about life, how you think about marriage, how you think about finances, a philosophy of, of enjoyment, a philosophy of, or, and they come in and say, hey, listen, I believe that God, and you hear God, you're like, oh, they're a Christian. Let me just stop you there. Anytime somebody says they believe in God, we should no longer assume that they're followers of Jesus. And we should no longer believe if somebody tells you they're a Christian, that they are a Christian according to God's word. As a matter of fact, I've trained people who are going on mission trips to don't tell people you're a Christian. Tell them you're a follower of Jesus. Because everybody says, oh, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. But does that view of Christianity line up with what Jesus says? Anybody can build a build-a-bear thought of who they think God is, but that doesn't mean it's who God really is. God is who he says he is. We can't make God who we think he is. God is he is God, and he reveals himself to us through his word. And so he starts off by saying, I want to warn you against these philosophies or, or these empty deceits. This is, I call this uh, the porcelain throne, all right? This is the porcelain throne where maybe in a classroom where you sit in and, and it's beautiful and these ideas of philosophy of utopia and, and life and how things can be great, yet they've never lived it out, all right? It's never been put into to true practice 
and there's no, there's no substance there, all right? And you're gonna find this. College students, you're here. Uh, man, you already know this, all right? You get into a class, they begin to talk about why it's not there, and here's my philosophy on, on life. And today, we should have a philosophy, by the way, on life. What we believe God's word says about life. We no longer live in a day that everyone agrees on what life is. All right, I believe that you are alive at conception. That when God uh, miraculously, every childbirth, it is a miracle of God and at conception, we are given a soul by God and it is not a fetus. And, and so we need to, you need to understand, what do you believe about life? They will come in with these philosophies and these ways and they might wax eloquent. Paul says, I don't come in with these waxing words and, and brilliance, but I come in the power of the cross. See, Jesus didn't just come in teaching philosophies. He died on the cross, and three days later, Jesus put his money where his mouth is, and he rose from the dead publicly, that everyone would see him. Before everyone else, he rose to the right hand of the Father. There is more evidence in the death, burial, and resurrection than that Julius Caesar ever existed. Yet every one of your classes will teach that Julius Caesar is a fact, a Roman leader, and he did great things. But it's hard to talk about the death, burial, and resurrection. Over 500 people saw him. It was witness. It was we have a confirmation of eyewitness accounts who saw it in their day, and there was no argument against it. He clearly was alive. All right, and so how do we handle that? Well, they'll come in with these empty deceits. See, in Christianity, there's substance to it. So, see, there's something we can fall back on. But what do they fall back on? Well, I got this special revelation. Okay, just by yourself. See, the revelation that we have is God spoke through hundreds of people over thousands of years, and none of them contradict each other. Well, you're here and you're like, well, I think the Bible does contradict each other. Well, let's sit down and talk, and let's talk about where you believe it contradicts, and you'll see that it actually lines up. It actually goes and flows because there's one author, and it was not written by hundreds of men. It was authored by God himself through men. And so there's something there. Secondly, he says, be careful that uh, you would be pulled away through this human tradition. Now, understanding what they had as human tradition, the church was new at this point. And so there were these traditions of worship, all right, these traditions of way that people were, would worship or, or meet with God. And, and then people were coming in and taking these traditional worship views and then creating this new revelation on ancient truths. They would say things like this, and you're about to hear this in the coming days a lot. We have uncovered a special new truth. Happens every Easter, all right? And the way that the world works, they're about eight weeks ahead. So start Easter, go eight weeks back, you'll start seeing commercials. You just cannot miss this special new uncovered tomb with a special writing that connects Jesus to his side chick who had a baby who then did this. You're gonna hear it. There's always this new revelation, this new truth, this person who was, I just, God spoke to me and I had this new thing, this new way. And, and so what's happening is people were pretty much hijacking spiritual truths with untrue doctrines and making it and forming it kind of what they wanted. And he says, be careful. Just because it, it meets a form of a tradition that you grew up in doesn't make it true. Just because meeting or people are meeting or in a church building doesn't make them the church. Just because people are, are having two songs and, and then a greeting time and then a few more songs and then somebody stands up and talks doesn't make them preaching the word of God. We have to evaluate what people are saying. And so he says, be careful that people don't even take you through your traditions, through your comfort zones, and then they pull you away in false doctrines. He says through human traditions. But then he he goes kind of a different route, a little bit deeper. 
He says, be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit on human tradition based on the elements of the world. They believed, many people in that time, that demons controlled planetary spheres and as a result, they controlled people's lives. Now, before you're like, man, that's weird, it would be like some people believe in tarot cards or they believe that you're born like, what is it? I don't even know what they're like. You're a Capricorn, so that means today you're gonna fall in love. Like, are you serious? You truly believe that because of when you were born and certain planetary alignment comes up that like today's the day that you're gonna find love. And people pay for this because what they're saying is they believe that there is some power out there that controls the alignment and the forces and the movements of these things and it's gonna line up to today, you're gonna win the Powerball, here's your lucky numbers. And for $7.99, I'll give them to you, right? And so what happens is, he's saying be careful because you need to understand that there are demonic activity going on, that there is a spiritual realm, that they are trying to control you, but they're trying to control you to the front part. That is not to give you freedom, but they're trying to enchain you to pull you away from Christ. And so Paul argues that these hostile powers were not controlling men's lives, but rather is a false doctrine. That Jesus came to bring control and power, true power, uh, that is found in him. He wanted to set people free from this, and that would be found in Christ. So he says, be careful. And he's going to bring it up again in just a few when he begins to talk about authority uh, and the elements uh, that are there in the world. So he says, these empty deceit based on human traditions, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. These teachers will say, it's Jesus plus something else, or now it's just you don't need Jesus at all. He was one of many. There are many ways to salvation. I have one of them. Follow me, ultimately making themselves another God. That is how all of these leaders brainwashed men and women and their children to follow them to a better life because all of those people were seeking a salvation, a joy, a hope in something other than Jesus Christ. And then lastly, I want you to see and go back to the very beginning of it, understand that this is all to control and to enslave to place followers under a yoke and make them their slaves. Jesus did not come to make you and put a, a yoke on you and, and, and to enslave you, he came to set you free. And, and that you would willingly say, I want to be a follower of Christ. Paul says, I have been enslaved to Christ. Not because I'm forced to be, but because I see what Jesus has done for me and it is my reasonable act of worship. How could I not expend my life making the gospel known to people when I see what Jesus has done for me. Other cults and false teachers say, hey, you need to follow me. You need to see what I have done. I'm bringing you enlightenment. I'm bringing you joy. You need to follow me. Pastors are, should be pointing to Jesus. I don't want you to follow me. And let me just throw this out there. We are not here to create followers of Jacob, followers of Shirley Hills. We exist that people would follow Jesus, that you would find salvation and hope Enjoy in him, in him alone. So he says, hey, I want you to resist these false teachers. Resist and understand, have critical thinking and understand that there are people out there that are gonna lead you astray. So he warns them, but then in verse nine and 10, he's gonna give them some reason to resist why Jesus is different, why he's a better way, why we're not a cult, why there is truth to this. Look at verse nine. He says, for the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. You wanna know why you resist? Because Jesus is fully God. Jesus was not just another person. He was not just another teacher. He was not just another rabbi. He was not just another wise person. He is wisdom. Proverbs says, seek wisdom. It's not talking about this principle. It's talking about the person of Jesus. 
He is wisdom. He is the word. He is the rabbi. He is the teacher. He is God. He said, look, this is fully God. We're not saying, hey, we have this special knowledge. We have this special power. We're saying Jesus, the creator and sustainer of the universe, he loves you. He died for you. Jesus is fully God. Follow him. Secondly, he says, not only is Jesus fully God, but Jesus fully fills you. He says, for the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ, and you have been filled by him, who is the head over every ruler and authority. Anyone who tells you that you need Jesus plus something else is not preaching the word of God. He fully fills you. Anyone who tells you that you need a job to satisfy you, that you need a spouse to satisfy you. By the way, some of you in here, you thought that. You're like, man, I'm gonna get married. They're gonna make me so happy. All the men were just silent right there. All the ladies laughed. Because marriage is not meant, it doesn't have the strength or the foundation or the sustaining power to bring you happiness and joy. That is found in Jesus Christ. He created marriage for his glory. Man, some of you thought, you know what? I've got Jesus, but I also need my job. I need my job. I have such satisfaction and joy and I need my job. I need that title. Or I need this thing. Let me say, we, your job doesn't save you. Your job doesn't save you. And some of you men, you're here today, you are literally working your life away because you find joy in your job that's meant to be found in Jesus Christ. Your job is a place to, to provide for your family, to be a leader in your home. It is not meant to be your God. It's not meant to be your identity. It's not meant to be your thing and about you. And so he says, hey, you need to understand Jesus is fully God, but he fully fills us. So should you be passionate about your job? Yes, and you should work it for the glory of God. But it doesn't bring you salvation or ultimate joy. Should we be passionate about friends and family and our spouse and marriage? Yes, but it is not your saving grace and it will not save you. So if you believe Jesus plus anything will make you happy, you need to understand it's not reality and that's a false doctrine. We have the gospel, we have Jesus, and he makes us complete. He is all we need. We're not incomplete in need of more truth or more ways or more revelation, in Christ we're complete. He's telling them that all these other teachings and all these other things, they're not gonna satisfy. They're not gonna give you what you need. That's found in Christ. He says, you've been filled by him who's the head over every ruler and every authority. Now, I know this is really touchy, and so I'm gonna be careful. He's also speaking to a people that are surrounded by the Roman Empire who understands rulers and authority and kingdom and power and he says, that stuff won't satisfy you. That's not what you need. Jesus is over all of those things. So ultimately, he's telling them, you don't need Moses. You don't need Joseph Smith. You don't even need Paul. We have Jesus. Now, the good news is the apostle Paul and Moses were both pointing to Jesus. It is up to us to make sure that all other teachers that come in and begin to teach and inform are pointing to Jesus, that he is the hope of salvation. I think we will say that Joseph Smith and others are saying, come to me. Anyone who points to themselves and not Christ is dangerous. Let me say this again. Anyone who points to themselves and not Jesus is dangerous. Any teacher, any preacher, any faith religion, or anyone else who says, look, look at me, is missing it. Every person in the scriptures are pointing to a greater one who would come. In the Old Testament, they're all pointing to a greater Messiah that would come. And in the New Testament, they're all pointing back to the greater one who came and lived and died and rose again. They're all pointing to him 
in Jesus. So the reasons to resist it is that, well, Jesus is fully God. He has fully filled us, and we don't need anything else. Church, listen to me. If you have placed your faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord, your life is not incomplete. It is a lie, and I don't throw this around a lot. It is a lie from hell itself to tell you your life is incomplete and you need more. What we need more of is Christ. The more we know him and see who he is and what he has done for us, the more true joy and satisfaction, the more purpose we really have in our life. Students, some people are telling you that what you're going to need in life are these things. And what you're truly going to find is that to live on this earth, you need water, you need shelter, you need clothing. But if you truly want to live, you'll find that in Jesus Christ. You want to find life in your marriage and in your job and in your family. You want to find life as a person that's found in Jesus Christ. I was talking to Rick earlier in the back after he's baptized. He just started sharing about how Jesus has changed his life. He says, you don't understand. Like, it's really been a complete change. Like, it's a complete different person. Like, I want to work different. I want to live different. I want to love different. Like, everything is different because of Jesus. I, it's just amazing. A few weeks after he got saved, his now wife messaged me and said, hey, you don't understand. He is a different person. Because Jesus doesn't come just to kind of like, rearrange your life and make you a little bit better he comes to do a complete different work and that moves into the second point and that is that the truth of christ is that we're complete in him the truth of christ is that we're complete in him here's what he's about to do in verses 11 through 15 he's going to show you how the death burial resurrection and deliverance of jesus completes you and i how we were created to walk with god and because of his work on the cross and in his resurrection, that shows that what, what we really have, that he is all we need. So the truth of Christ is that we find completion in him. He is primary. He is central to our life. So let's first look at death. Let's look at death. This is a, an inward purification by a new heart. Look at verse 11. Verse 11 says, You were also circumcised in him with a circumcision not done with hands, by putting off the body of the flesh and the circumcision of Christ. In the Old Testament, he tells them, that uh, they were to, to be circumcised, and that showed that they were putting off the flesh and that they were followers of God, that they were looking forward to the Messiah. It, it associated them as followers of God. Then in the, the New Testament, he says, now there's a new circumcision that has put away your flesh. It's no longer done by human hands or with a knife. It's done by the work of Jesus on the cross and in his resurrection. He removes our flesh. He's the one that saves us. He is the one that that has done this inward purification by a new heart. He, we now have our, our flesh removed. We have died to our old self and now have new life in Jesus Christ. That moves us to the next part. This is why he now moves into the, the language of burial. Look at verse 12. He says, when you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Now, some of you are here and maybe there was a time in your life Maybe you were raised Catholic or in another faith where you were sprinkled at a time in your life. Then you wanted to join our church, and we told you, we asked, were you baptized? And, and you said, yes, I was, we were sprinkled at a time. And we said, well, no, we believe the word baptism is baptizo. It literally means immersion, to be immersed. And we said, well, we believe then you should, you should be baptized by immersion. Now, maybe you're here and you're like, well, look, I got a hiccup with that. I have a problem with that. And, and so we, I'll take you, this is the verse I would take you to. And I would tell you the reason that we believe, listen to me, let me even make it a step further. There were people in the early church, and, and thousands of years later, there were people who died 
they literally gave up their life to be baptized. Meaning they believed that baptism was not by sprinkling, that it was by baptizo to be immersed, and people killed them because they believed that. That means there were people, listen, I know like in today, we're like, we don't like, we won't throw the word Baptist around. They literally died to be Baptist. Why? You know, like, why? Why would anybody die for that? Why would you say that I have to be baptized by immersion to join the church? I, and some of you are here like, you know, I don't really like that. Well, listen, this is, this is the text that we get it from. He says you were baptized with Christ. You were immersed with Christ. The picture of baptism is that you've been completely buried. You didn't like partially die. He didn't just like take the bad parts of your life out and you had good parts. Your sin made you completely separate from God. Meaning you were in this, in this path over here where your sin separated you from God. And you were dead, the Bible says. Ephesians 2 says you were dead in your trespassing sins. You're completely dead. And so when you're baptized, you're saying I've completely died to myself. Not partially, completely immersed. I've been buried with Christ. All of my sin has been nailed to the cross so that I bear it no more. All of my sin was buried. When Jesus died a complete death, a real death, he died, so too my sins have been stripped off completely. Not partially, not a little bit, but completely. The, my, the older me is completely done away with. So when we are buried with Christ in baptism, it signifies this real death has occurred. There's no longer this like partial Jacob. There's a completely new Jacob. Galatians 2.20 says it like this. I've been crucified with Christ. What does it mean that Jesus was crucified? He was killed on the cross. So he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. He's saying, listen, I, I can, I'm buried. That's why the picture of baptism is so important. Because we're saying I've completely died. It's no longer my dreams, my ambitions. It's not about me at all. Jacob has now died and there's now a new life in Christ. I'm free from the domination of sin in my life. My sin is buried. Man, look, there's days where I need to be reminded that my sin has been buried. Anybody else out there where you feel like sin is closing in on you and, and people are reminding you of sin and you feel like, man, I'm failing and I'm messing up and, and Satan's reminded you of that and then you're reminded that the gospel tells me that my sin was buried completely. That it, I don't, I, I'm, I'm dead to that completely. I'm free from the domination of sin. And here's the good news. You see, if we just told you today that Jesus said, listen, I buried your sin. I died and, and, and your sin died with me. You're like, okay, awesome. But the way that Jesus validated that that promise is true is that three days later, he walked straight up out of his tomb and said, now listen to me now. I'm not telling you I'm the son of God, I'm showing you I'm the son of God. I have risen from the tomb just like now you can have new life. You see, the resurrection of Christ means that we have been raised by the same power. That's another part of it. If, if you are here and you've been sprinkled, and listen, understand, we are not judging, we are not a judging people, we are completely gracious, that's why we can talk about this, we can talk about people who disagree with us, but if you were sprinkled, you miss part of the picture of baptism. Part of the picture of baptism is not only that you buried and that your sin is completely covered, but there is something awesome every time a person comes out of that baptism water. Every single time. 
It is a picture. It is an image that now, not only did your sins were they nailed to the cross and you bear them no more, not only are they buried, but now, <clears throat> excuse me, but now you've been raised to new life in Jesus Christ. You're now not the same person. You now have life in him. Listen to Ephesians 2, 6. And it says, and he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Listen how Romans chapter 6, verse 8 talks about this. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over me. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives to God, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So when you come up out of the water, what you're saying is because of what Jesus has done in my life, I've now been resurrected. I have a new life. I'm a new person. I'm now alive to God in Christ Jesus. We were raised by faith, not by works, not by special knowledge, not by a unique recipe, not by voodoo, not by some special thing. It's by the work of Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. And so the reason baptism is such an important part of who we are as a church, because it reminds us it is a picture of the gospel. And every person that is baptized, you are saying, it is only by the death, burial, and resurrection that I can be saved. It is only by the work of Christ that I have new life. And then he says, it's not only in this, if you'll follow along in the passage, he says, when you were buried with him in baptism, which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead, verse 13, and when you were dead, and trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave you of all your trespasses. Verse 14, he erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and was taken away by nailing it to the cross. He is reminding the church who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for you. He nailed your sins on the cross so that we bear them no more. You have been risen to new life in Christ Jesus. You have been delivered from your sin and delivered to a life full of hope. So look at verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. He gives us this image of, of you and I being delivered. The picture here is like in Rome when they would defeat somebody. When they would defeat somebody, they would take all their gold, all their silver, all their armies, all their people, all their leaders, and here's what they would do. You ready? They would walk right back up in the town. It would start off with their silver. All they would walk in with all this silver and the sun would shine on their silver and everybody's cheering, yeah, look, y'all are so powerful, you're so mighty. We just took all their silver. And then they'd walk in with their gold and they're like, we're so rich, you know, look at all the gold that we took. And then they would walk in with the defeated army and, and they'd be like, yeah, look at all these people that we've conquered, look how strong we are. And then lastly, it would come in with that, that defeated king. He would come in being pulled by chains with his head down begging for mercy and it was a picture of total defeat and everyone would celebrate their war victory and, and their power and their might. And this is the language that he gives us into Colossians to the church of Colossae that this is what Jesus did in his death, burial, and resurrection. Y'all walk in and boast your power of your silver and your gold, but let me tell you what Jesus did. Jesus publicly was walked down your street and humiliated naked, beaten, so much so that he couldn't even finish carrying the cross that a man had to lean down and help him. He was despised, he was spit on, and he did not speak a word. He took the cross and he took its punishment and then he said it's finished and he breathed his last. He was taken off that, declared dead as he was stabbed in the side to be confirmed he was dead. He would then be wrapped and 
and spices would be put on him and he would be buried quickly uh, because of the religious holiday and he was sealed. It was confirmed his death, his tomb was sealed and army men were placed outside the door. It was to show utter annihilation. It was to be a public embarrassment and defeat that Jesus was not the son of God. Nobody should worship this coward, this man that is dead and completely gone. The nighttime would pass. The church would scurry. People would go. They were literally in utter humiliation. Who, how could this be the son of God? And on the third day, morning time, they would go to visit the tomb, but Jesus wouldn't be there. It would be a triumphant, a public shame that your soldiers, your tomb, your men, and your blade cannot stop me because I am the one true God who came to live and to die and to rise again. That anyone who would place their faith and hope in me, you would be saved. And like I've risen from the dead, you too can be saved. And so when we look at who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, you need to understand that he triumphed over the authorities and the powers and the rulers and the dominion. Any person at that time, Jesus says, I, I publicly triumphed over them. And it's a reminder to each and every one of us, as you see false teachers, as we see it, it seems like evil is creeping and gaining ground. It's a reminder to the church, Jesus is still on the throne. He has triumphed, we, have, we are victorious. The victory has been won. The victory will be finished, and, and the, it's there. So we should not lose hope. We shouldn't turn to other things to complete us. The victor stands and will return for his church, and until then, understand the power of the gospel. He loves us, and in the truth is, in Christ, we are complete in him. So here's the question for you. Is there anything today in your life that you are turning to to complete you other than Jesus Christ? Is there anything in your life that you are looking to be your satisfaction, your strength, your purpose, and the reason and thing that you live for outside of Jesus? I wanna turn to, turn to you today and tell you, anything other than Jesus, anything outside of him is heresy. Anything that you need outside of him, it's false. We don't need it. We need Jesus Christ. And my prayer today is that not only our church, but the church would hunger in and say, Lord, we want to love you with our mind, so that we can identify the false teachings. Let me close with this. There's been, a, I've gotten a lot of emails. Our praise team is getting ready to come, and I know this is a really sensitive subject, but I, I've really gotten so many emails over the past couple of weeks. I, I've really taken time to pray before I respond, and I'm just gonna respond publicly. I've gotten a lot of uh, questions about some of the really current things that are going on in our world with, um, you heard it earlier, you know, where, where do we stand on the right to life and abortions and, and, and where do we stand with that? And just recently, uh, a few days ago, uh, a pastor, um, if you wanna say that, many of you might follow him, his name is, is T.D. Jakes, came out publicly and said that he is in support of the LGBTQ um, or whatever, the, all, the lesbian, uh, gay, uh, bisexual, all, all those things, he came out in support of that and said it's good and, and we should champion that and be good with it. So I've gotten a lot of, where do we stand on marriage and, and life? And so let me just, I wanna close with this, because I think it's a really important moment, not just for our church, but just in general. Guys, I understand that culture changes. Like, it is gonna change. Some of you, you love bell bottoms, all right? And they're gone. And they keep trying to have resurrection power. 
They keep trying to come back, right? Like you grew up with certain things, and there's a nostalgia for old things, and often they, they come back. Culture changes, but here's, hear me. The truth of God doesn't. The truth of God doesn't. So we're gonna stand where God stands. We're gonna scream what God screams, and we're gonna make the main thing the main thing. We're gonna love people who disagree with us. We believe that marriage is between a man and a woman, and God created it to be that way. And it will always be best when we follow God's plan. And we know sin wrecked that. And so because sin wrecked that, we're not angry at anybody who is living in sin. We're not angry with them. Our battle's not with flesh and blood. So we're not gonna go attack the, that community. We love them and we wanna love you to Jesus. But our love for you does not mean we will back away from what the truth of God's word is. And so don't paint us into a corner where we're bad guys because we believe God's word. No, this is where we stand on God's word and we're gonna love you regardless. And if you, you make us an, an enemy because we believe different than you, we're gonna show compassion and kindness anyway because that's what God's word tells us to do. No matter what state or what country or what anybody makes a law on, on the right to abortion, understand, if we choose to not have an abortion, it will not be an issue. So just because our country makes it legal to do it, if we don't do it, it will not be an issue. So we should preach, love, disciple, care, step in and intercede and tell any woman, we are not here to shame you. If you've gotten pregnant and you don't know how you're gonna make it, come lean on the church. We will love you through it in the name of Jesus, amen? And so where we stand, yeah. But once again, where we stand on the issues, it comes back to what does the word of God say? And let's know it. Because there's a heart and a concern for me as your pastor that I see a lot of people being pulled to and fro. And it, it comes because we wanna love God with our passion, we wanna love God with our heart, but I don't know that we're loving God with our mind as well as we should. So my plea to our church is let's grow in the word of God. And if you don't know, then let's ask questions. Let's get in small groups where we can ask questions and say, hey, what do we think about this? Like, I, I just, maybe you've gotten really good arguments against it. You need a place to offer those arguments. And then if your group doesn't know answers to it, then we'll call the pastors in and sit down in God's word and we'll figure it out together. And if we line up with the word of God, here's what I know. He just says, blessed are those who are firmly rooted and planted by a stream of living water in him. It is in Christ that we find salvation. It is in Christ that he's gonna guide how we live, work, and play. And our philosophies are not empty. They're rooted in substance. They're rooted in Jesus. Won't you stand with us today as we close? Father, today, as your church, we feel the pressure all around from the culture. But Lord, I believe that the gospel can impact the culture, that the culture doesn't have to impact us. So God, I just pray that you would help us to be empowered, filled with your spirit, strengthened in your word, and then we can speak truth into culture and have engaging conversations and that people would be saved by the mysterious power of the gospel in us. So Lord, right now, we just pray that you'd move our hearts. Maybe there's some people in this room right now, Lord, that it's time for them to join the church and be a part of a movement that tarries the gospel to the nations. And they've waited and today's the day to do it. Maybe there are some in this room right now though and the reality is they're in need of the hope that's in Jesus Christ. There's been these questions and these doubts and, and Satan and people have grown misinformation. And, but Lord, today you've spoken through the power of your spirit straight to their heart. 
that you're the son of God who came to take away the sins of the world. You are real, you have risen from the dead, and you have come to bring life and bring it abundantly. We believe it, and God, we will stake our life on it. And Lord, today, there's some who, today's the day they need to receive life in you. God, I pray that you'd move their hearts. Maybe right where they're at watching online, right where they are, they'll just cry out to you, Jesus, save me. Jesus, would you come into my life? I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose again. In the same resurrection life that you have, I know that you offer to me. So Jesus, the power that rose you from the dead, Lord, would that power come into my life and rise me from the dead? I wanna move from death to life. I wanna follow you all the days of my life. Save me. The Bible says today that if you have done that, if you have asked Jesus to be the Savior and Lord of your life, then you're a new child of God. If you're watching online or even here at live, that, Lord, I pray that you would help us to help them grow. Or maybe here they can come forward in just a moment. But for all of us, I pray that we would be a church that responds. There are a lot of people today that are being hit with misinformation. It's false truth. So God, help us to speak the truth. Right now, I pray that you would move our church to pray. The truth is, this is a spiritual battle. And I believe in all of my heart that we're not gonna change this through changing the law. We're not gonna change this through different things. We're gonna change it by being a church that hits our knees in prayer. Our nation, our, our, our state, our neighbors need our prayer life. Right now, I pray that you would move our church to be intercessory prayer warriors that we would intercede on others. Right now, there's some parents laboring for their children to not be pulled by every doctrine. Lord, let us step in and pray with them. Help us to be a praying church because there are people who need you. God, there be a people being pulled away. Let us stand firm in the truth of your word. Let us love without hypocrisy, but let us stand firm in the truth of your word and you'll take care of everything else. Move us now to respond to the power of the gospel. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, as a church, we're gonna sing together. Maybe you wanna join the church. Our pastor's gonna be down front. We'd love to help you in that. Come on. Maybe you're here today and God's working in your heart and you're ready to give your life to him. Man, we'd love to help you in that. But church, hear me. We need to pray. We need to pray. We're gonna open up our altars and we're gonna ask you to come down and pray. Maybe you wanna come and intercede for some other children or other students. Maybe you just wanna come and pray for our college students today who are being berated by every way. We wanna stand firm in the gospel. Maybe you want to come and pray for your D group that God would move in it and, and help us to stand firm in the Word. Our altar's open. We're going to sing together. We're going to praise the Lord. You guys come. Forever. 
If you'll bow your heads and close your eyes, I'm gonna pray for us as we dismiss. Man, if you're a guest, I'd love to meet you in just a moment, be in the connect room. But as I pray us out of here today, we just wanna close in interceding for other people. Um, we Today, there's maybe people coming to your mind that they've been pulled away from church, they've been pulled away from their faith, and, and they don't even know that we're praying for them. But we're gonna stand in the gap and intercede. Right now, you're gonna pray for somebody's son, somebody's daughter. You're gonna pray for somebody's neighbor who Satan thinks he's got the victory, but they have no clue what Jesus is about to do through the prayers of the saints at Shirley Hills Baptist Church. So I just wanna ask you right where you are, the best you know how, bow your heads, close your eyes, and pray to the Lord. I want you to ask him right now, just call out those people, maybe they're family or friends, neighbors. God, the best we know how, Lord, right now, we just wanna intercede for certain people that we believe you've laid on our heart. Lord, there are so many people right now that are just being pulled they're being pulled away by clever, crafty, worded arguments and 
But Lord, we know that it's not bearing fruit in their life and they're not satisfied where they are. So I pray for your church, Lord, that we would stand firm, that we would continue to love people even though that they've left the faith, even though they've pulled away. You told us that there's gonna be a day where people are gonna leave, but Lord, we believe that there is power in the gospel. It is the, it is, Lord, your gospel is the power of Christ and the salvation. We believe that. So Lord, the best we know how right now, we just pray that you would use us to love, to encourage, to reach. Lord, through your spirit in us, would you give us influence, love, and encourage to call, to reach, to hug, and to let people know, man, God loves you, and we're here for you. Come join what God is doing in his church. We just pray that you would call people back to yourself. God, help us to stand firm. We pray for our nation today. Lord, as every week, it's like a new scandal, a new drama, a new thing, and Lord, we just confess it breaks our heart. Our heart is broken. Lord, we just repent, God, on behalf of our country and lawmakers and all that's happening. Lord, I know it breaks your heart. It breaks your heart more than ours. So God, we just pray for every woman who feels like that she needs to terminate her birth, Let bring Christians around them, not to pick it, but to wrap their arms around them and to say, I'll help you. I'll be their mom, I'll be their dad. God, please let us respond in truth, but also in love. And we just pray that we would see one by one, family by family, life change through the power of your gospel. We know that if you don't change it, it won't happen. So God, we turn to you and we believe we'll be made complete in you. Our nation will be made complete in you. So God, we need you. We ask for your help. Now as we go, as the church is dispersed, Lord, be our strength, give us eyes to see and a heart to love. We pray this in Jesus' name, all God's people said. There is a truth older than the ages. There is a promise of things yet to come. There is one born for our salvation, Jesus. There is a in the